Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another interview for Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this week we have a really interesting interview. I'm thinking I'm going to start a bit of a series around a bit of a day in the life of. And a lot of the time I talk about Uber drivers, Airbnb, um, Deliveroo, and things like that. I wanted to start thinking about what's it actually like being an Uber driver? What's it actually like riding for Deliveroo or hosting a, an Airbnb household? So I started putting a call out and I put a call out um, for an Uber driver. I wanted to speak to somebody who has been an Uber driver before and uh, Philip reached out and said he was available. Now we talked to Philip about everything to do from you know getting started as an Uber driver, getting checks done and things like that, as well as the, uh, you know, the horror stories and things like that along the way. Um, but we also discover that Phil worked at 96.1 in Sydney many, many years ago. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because from a tech point of view, that radio station hosted a chat room a long, long time ago. And that chat room was before Facebook, before Twitter, before anything else. And I'm telling you, that was where you first got signs of what people could be like on the internet. And it was wild and crazy. And I remember doing it in dial-up days. Um, so Phil was one of the guys behind it all. And I asked him some questions about that too. Had no idea that was going to come up. But the key focus of this interview today is Uber drivers. What's it like being an Uber driver? And going forward, I'm going to try and talk to different types of jobs like this. And if, if you've got one that you've ever wondered what it's like to be A, let me know. Reach out to me. I'm happy to try and find these kind of people uh, to talk to us as well. At some point, I'm even tempted to do it myself. I'm tempted to get myself in my car become an Uber driver for a day, um, you know, deliver some food through Uber Eats for a day and see what that's like, even become a career driver for Amazon and drive around. I think it could be really interesting and there might be some cool stories along the way. But in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, Phil Brandel. He is a radio announcer. He's got a huge career in radio and I'm, and I'm fortunate for that because he sounded so clear and crisp throughout the entire interview as well. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man who's not just an Uber driver, uh, Phil Brandell. Phil, now tell me, um, you've gotten into Uber driving. I'd have to ask, what was it that made you want to join Uber as a driver? It was, um, I was working in the city, well, Sydney at the time, um, and I was working late nights in a, let's say, a bar slash nightclub. Um, and I was driving home because I was living on the New South Wales Central Coast. And it's about an hour each way. And I just thought, you know, People were telling me about Uber, and one of the Uber drivers told me while I was in an Uber one day that you could actually pick the direction you wanted to go in. So if you were heading from, say, Sydney to North Sydney, you could tell the app, I want to head to North Sydney, and it would find you uh, fares that were going in that direction. And I thought, this is great, because I do this every Saturday night, drive from the Central Coast to the King's Cross and back again. Um, so I just started down, you know, looking into it and downloading the app and all of the bits of paper that you needed. And so that when I was already getting paid to, you know, drive down from the Central Coast for work, um, I would pick up people on the way, have a bit of a chat, and then, you know, I'd work and then one or two o'clock in the morning, I'd pick up the drunks in King's Cross who, you know, there might be a guy in King's Cross who wanted to go to the CBD and then from the CBD, you'd pick up someone else who probably wanted to go to North Sydney and then someone from North Sydney who wanted to go to Chatswood and then someone from Chatswood would want to go to Hornsby. Um, and 
it was just a, another way of making a little bit of money doing what I was already doing. And, and it's actually not too bad when you think about those trips that you've mentioned. You know that that might be thirty bucks every go, and that's that's actually not too bad for a commute on the way home. Absolutely, it was more than paying for my fuel. Originally, I thought, oh, you know, this will be petrol money. But yeah. if, if you timed it right, and you were a little bit open to going out of your way, just a little bit, not too much. And you know, I was just driving home. It wasn't like I was, you know, busting to get home for the kids or anything. Um, it was one or two o'clock in the morning. Didn't really matter to me if I, you know, got home half an hour later. And it was just, you know, I was already heading in that direction, just another income stream. That's amazing. Now, tell us a little bit about, you know, actually becoming a driver, because it's not just as simple as downloading a different version of the Uber app. There's a little bit more that goes on behind the scenes, isn't there? It's a com- complete pain in the ass, to be honest. It is one of the yeah. hardest processes I've ever been through. And I've done it in Queensland and New South Wales. They both have different rules and regulations. Um, they're both a pain in the ass. And I'll... Mm-hmm. Uh, you can understand why some people just go, oh, this is all too hard. I'm not doing this. Um, and then a lot of people will, um, you know, say, well, I have to do it. I have to go through this because this is going to be my income. With me, once again, it was just a secondary income. So if it took me five or six weeks to get all of the bits of paper that I needed and download the right app and permission and sign this and photocopy it in triplicate and scan it off and blah, 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 um, I, I probably would have given up. Um, yeah. But because I wasn't in a rush and exactly the same reason, you know, I used to drive to work and used to see people getting cabs and I thought, well, you know, if I'm leaving work at midnight, I might be able to give someone a lift home who's heading in the same direction and make a couple of bucks. That's really interesting. And, and I, I think even from a car perspective, you need to get either the car inspected. It needs to have a certain level of requirements just to be a, it an does. Uber X. So there's quite and, a few. and then there's levels, isn't there? Yeah, there's different bits of paper you get. So you need to get the car inspected. And it's a greater inspection than a rego inspection. It's a lot more to do with safety. Then you need to get a different registration, which is sort of like a, uh, it's almost like a taxi license. You're registering your car as a share ride car. So you need to get that as well. Right. Then you need to get a driver's authorization, which is sort of the, you know, when you get into a taxi driver thing and you'll see their little ID sitting up on the dash, that's the driver's authorization, which means that you're allowed to then take people. But then you also need to adjust your driver's license. So um, I'm just having a look at my license here. What what class am I? Um, Class C which I don't know what that class C means. I just think it means just an adult open license. But you need to change your license as well. Um, so you've got the driver's authorization and upgrade your license. So it's, it's pretty much four different things that – and we're not talking things that take overnight either. You know, you've got to put in forms and then wait for them to be approved and it's got to be sent off. And then when, when it's approved by um, main roads or whatever they're called, um, you then get a bit of paper that, that you have to send to Uber by scan or photo or whatever, and then they've got to approve it. Wow. Okay. So there is obviously quite a bit of process. I can't wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to go and drive for Uber today. I've got nothing else to do, which in in some ways is a good thing because you do want to vet things and make sure that when you do get into an Uber, that the car's at least been checked, the driver has had some sort of background checks done and things like that. But you know, going forward, once you are going, is there a percentage that Uber takes um, from, from the cut or how does it actually work? Because we don't really see it from a passenger perspective as to how much you're making out of the trip it's just an overall fare yeah no they do take a percentage i used to know this i think it's around 10 to 15 percent of the fare of every fare um which you know fair enough it's your uh, it's their app it's their booking service you're you're in a contractor to them i mean like if you were driving a cab for instance you have to pay the owner of the cab if you don't own that car you have to pay them rent 
you have to pay them a couple of hundred bucks. Um, and then anything that you make on top of that is free and you've got to pay for fuel and all of that. So it's very similar to that, but they're the ones supplying the app. They're the, they're the ones supplying the database. They're the ones supplying all of the customers. Um, you just, once you've got it going, I've got to say the app is pretty good. Um, once yeah. it's up and running and you've got all your bits of paper and, you know, sometimes you've got to chase Uber and say, hey, I sent you this scan a week ago and, you know, you said you'd approve it within 48 hours and, and that sort of stuff. And I don't think, I could be wrong, I don't think they have any customer service in Australia either. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I think it's all at sea. So, so, you know, you've got time difference things and, um, you know, if you do have a problem, you can't just ring them. Um, everything's done either through Messenger or through the app. Um, I think there might even be a couple of emails, but good luck trying to talk to someone to do, but that doesn't happen. Yeah, that makes sense. And once you've gotten yourself going, you open up the app, your first trip must have been nervous, right? It scared the shit out of me, to be honest, because what <laughs> yeah. I, I had the app on, I was working, uh, doing exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I was like, okay, well, if I'm heading in this direction or I'm going to head home, um, I'll put the app on and see if someone needs a lift. And so the app's on, and then I hear this strange noise. And it's like, ding, ding, ding. And I was like, what the hell is that? And it took me a few seconds to realize that um, I was in the vicinity of someone who needed a, a pickup at the train station. I was like, oh, this is my first one. Um, so I clicked collect, or, you know, whatever it was. I hit the green button, and it told me they were at the train station and gave me – and the maps are pretty good, i got to say. The Uber maps are pretty good. Um, and it gives you directions on how to find the person, and it gives you their first name as well. Um, okay. So you, whether you know you're looking for a male or a female, or, and they're going to be standing, you know, on this street corner or in this car park or whatever. So you drive in, and they've got your rego. So it'll say, you know, my car's a white Mazda and, you know, whatever a rego is, YTF, blah, blah, blah. And so they can see you and then they should be standing roughly where they they uh, said they are on the map. And then the guy got in and he looked at my ranking because you can see the mm-hmm. Uber driver's ranking, you know, yeah. how many um, uh, passengers they've picked up and what ranking they've mm-hmm. got. And he, he was like, is this your first go? I was like, yeah, this is my, you're my first customer. And he was an Uber driver himself. And so he actually uh, showed me a couple of neat little things, tricks on the app that he goes, well, you should do this and do this. And, you know, you can. there's two or three ways you can do everything on the app. Okay. It's actually really nice that, that you had that as your first passenger because yep. you're able to have those conversations, get a bit more comfortable before your next one where it's not just someone well, I think the second one using Uber the first time. Well, I think the second one I picked up, we got stuck in traffic so bad it wasn't moving. I mean, it was like, I don't know if there was an accident or something. Like mm-hmm. you, people were getting out of their cars and standing around their cars talking. So then we had to chuck a U-turn and go the long way and then we got lost and that was my second one. That was, that was a- and I wonder- I wanted to ask about that too, because obviously the Uber app is giving you navigation on on how to take them where they want to go. Yes. How often are passengers disputing what your phone is telling you to do and actually saying, oh, mate, go this way, go that way? Because I know that if if you get taken down the beaten path, you actually end up getting refunds sometimes where they say, look, something's gone wrong here and you actually get money back. Do you have disputes with with passengers on that? Yeah, um, a couple of times people have said, can we go this way? And I always say, yes, you know, the customer's always right. If they want to go that way, that's fine. Um, I know they've changed it slightly now, but once upon a time there was a thing where they – they said, this is the price. So it's $24.20. And it doesn't matter how long you went or how many drive-through Maccas the customer wanted to go through, it was $24.20. Um, oh, wow. And then people started disputing that. So now it's an estimate. And it's still the price still falls in within that range, but I have disputed with Uber and said, hey, I picked up two people. They wanted me to go via this person's house, which is way out of the way of the 
the destination because, you know, Uber can see the starting point and the destination and draws a straight line. Um, they, um, they don't, you know, and then you go, you know, via their friend's house, which is totally out of the way. That customer mm-hmm. still gets charged the same price, but you can then actually uh, tap something on Uber and say, you know, uh, I want to um, object to that price and they'll say yeah. why. And then you just say, well, you know, I remember one person I picked up, they wanted to go through a drive through bottle shop. So I took them there and then they spent about 20 or 30 minutes wandering around the aisles of the bottle shop wondering what to buy. And then the fare was still the same, even though I'd been sitting there for 30 minutes. So I disputed that. And um, Uber said, yeah, fair enough. We can see that on the app. We can see that you're standing there. And um, they gave me an extra, well, they worked out, you know, whatever the rate was for standing there for 30 minutes. And I got that in my bank account eventually. And I I don't know if they pass it on the customer or not. That's interesting. And and you mentioned that you're doing a lot of these sort of trips at nighttime. Um, tell me, I mean, obviously nighttime, you're going to get some of the some of the crazies out that's coming to get rides and things like that. Any any memorable ones that you can remember? Oh, there was one girl who was really drunk and cons- insisted on giving me money, um, cash. Um, <laughs> I, I kept saying I'm not a cab. Oh, no, no, you need this money. This is to pay for the trip. And I was like... Oh, like wow. it's on an app. You, you're gonna, you know. I didn't want to take her money, but she, as she was getting out the car, you know, threw a wad of money, not a wad, you know, a couple of five dollar notes at me. So there you go. There's your fare. I was like, okay, thanks, love. I'm, you know, like thank I, you. I mean, I, I guess it's a tip, right? Well, I don't know. Right? You know she, she, I, she was so drunk, she thought she was paying me. How much do I owe you? You know, <laughs> which sounds like, um. So she just threw a bunch of five dollars and got out of the car and stumbled up with her heels under her arm. Um, oh, yeah, so there was that. There was a, a couple of girls who that were lovely, um, but I had I knew that they taken some alcohol in the car. They're going to a nightclub, and they took a bottle, a couple of bottles into the car, and we're chatting, and they were they were great. It was early in the night, so they're going to the nightclub. They're not coming home, and um, they got out of the car, and I gave them five stars, and they got out, and they're oh, see you, have a great night. And I was like, hang on a sec, where's all those bottles that they brought in? And so they disappeared in the nightclub and I had a look in the back and the back was just a mess of spilled champagne and empty bottles everywhere. Um, But I'd already clocked off. Too late. Yeah, too late. I probably could have disputed it, but it's just a matter of picking up the bottles. But there is is a good and a bad side to that. I'll I'll tell you a little thing that I've heard about the – people who wreck Uber cars or are rude to Uber drivers. So if you right. if you do some damage to the car, like if you spill alcohol, food, whatever, the Uber mm-hmm. driver can take a photo of that, send it off to Uber head office, and if they deem it as damage or needs cleaning, you know, professional cleaning, needs a clean, I'm not talking just a Macca's wrapper. I'm talking about if you, you know, yeah. smear your Big Mac right across the back seat. Um, the Uber driver can take a photo, send it off to Uber. Uber will then send the, the rider a bill. I think it's about 50 bucks. Right. Okay. So, but that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But I have heard, oh, I've never done this, but I have heard of people doing this where if the person's really rude, obnoxious, you know, pain in the ass, racist is another one that they get. Look, I'm, I'm white, middle aged Australian. I'm fine with that. But a lot of Uber drivers are from, you know, ethnic minorities and they get abused by, you know, um, right wing dickheads. Um, but so what these Uber drivers do is they will then, you know, smear something themselves on the back seat. I don't know what it is, whatever they got, you know, water, Coke, you know, they'll smear it on the back seat themselves, take a photo, say this dickhead just did this to my car, and then that idiot yeah. ends up getting a fine. And I've got to say, from what I've heard, Uber usually sides with the um, driver. I like that. I like that. And it's it's actually, would actually give them a really good lesson that that's what happens. If you're going to do that, you're going to be rude, whatever, 
these that these sort of things could come and get. And yeah, get there are consequences, and it's your word against them because you didn't take a photo with a clean car when you left, did you? No, and that's right. All the Uber driver has to say is, "Look, I took this photo. As you can see, within a couple of minutes of the uh, the passenger leaving, and look at the mess they left. And you know, the, the Uber driver could just go empty a rubbish bin all over the back seat, take a photo, send it to Uber, and uh, and then that passenger gets a fifty dollar f- cleaning fee or something." Unbelievable. And and look, there was a story recently, and it was it was in the papers for other reasons. But there was a guy um, who got a cab from Sydney all the way up to Newcastle to to meet with somebody. Is that a dream run? That if you were to finish work one day and you wanted had to take someone back, who wanted to go all the way up the Central Coast. I mean, is that is that when you just go? Oh, I'm, I'm done. Oh, oh look, well, yeah. Um, if I picked up someone in, you know, Sydney and they wanted to go to the Central Coast, absolutely. If I'm already going that way, that is a dream run. But that could be a pain if you're going if you're not going to the Central Coast, then you've got to drive back again. Um, one of the things that the app says is that when when you accept a fare, you don't know where they're going. Um, je- oh, like really? no, you don't. With with the normal Uber app, unless you put in that particular, you know, uh, find fares in my direction filter. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, you know, you're, you're filtering out 90% of the potential fares. But if you're working, say, right, I'm going to be an Uber driver for the next six hours. I don't care where I end up. Um, you don't know where that particular fare is going until you've like, p- hit pick up. So, yeah, yeah so I, I will, you know, pull up to the side of the road and go, uh, is it Jeff? And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get in the car and go, okay, Jeff. So I hit a button that says I've now picked Jeff up. And then it tells me where we're going. And then it's, you might say, okay, well, I've got to drop Jeff off at Town Hall Station. So we head off in that direction. I don't know until I picked you up. Um, but you do get a little bit of a warning and it will say long fare or extended trip or something like that on the okay. app. So if you're about to knock off and, you know, you go, oh, look, I'll do one more, but now I'm going home and it comes up with extended trip or long trip or whatever, that's usually in excess of half an hour. Uh-huh. See, I like that because I remember, I mean, I, I live in Sydney's West. So when I used to have nights out in the city, the amount of times a cab would put their window down, ask me where I'm going, I tell them where I'm going, they would drive off so fast, you couldn't even you couldn't even blink. It was actually quite dangerous how fast they used to speed off on you. So for an Uber driver to not know, at least if they're open to that kind of fare, it's good to know that they almost have to take you in some ways, that yeah. once you're in the car, that, that they've got their destination after that point, once you're actually sitting in, I like that. And you're right. I think we've all had horror stories from taxi cab drivers um, yeah. doing the same thing, whether it be a long trip. I remember being at Rouse Hill and a guy got in the cab and the, he said, take me to Parramatta Station, which was, you know, probably a 2 or $3 fare. It was, it was raining and he didn't want to walk from Rouse Hill to, not Rouse Hill, Rose Hill. Sorry, Rose, Rose Hill. Rose Hill yeah. um, race course. And yeah. um, he said, take me to Parramatta train station. The cabbie wouldn't take him because no, it's only 2 or $3 fare. You know, I want the big fares back into the city. Um, with with Uber, you don't know. It could be a $2 fare, it could be a $20 fare, it could be a $200 fare. And just with the taxis as well, I mean, there's always been this animosity that between Uber drivers and what the impact it's having on, on the taxi industry. Did you ever have any negative sentiment from other taxi drivers? Would you would you have any interactions with them at all? No, not while I was driving. Look, I had plenty of negative interactions with taxi drivers as a passenger, <laughs> we um, have, yeah. which we all have. Um, yeah. don't, don't get me started on that. I could rave about that for half an hour about the taxi industry. Um, but no, not while I was driving. No, none, none whatsoever. Um, okay. you, you can see some filthy looks. I mean, you'd pull up at the airport and there'd yeah. be a line of taxis, about 20 taxis there, and they're all sitting out the front having a cigarette, no, no passengers. And then you zip in 
and you say, Jeff, yep, Jeff, jump in. And Jeff could have taken one of the 20 taxis that was sitting there doing nothing, but no, Jeff decided to jump in my Uber and they, and you can see them, you know, go, you know, I think it's a bit, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an aggressive look. It's more a look of disappointment. I can imagine it will be. And I mean, being an Uber driver, what would you say some of the issues that you found as part of, you know, signing up and things like that? Anything that you would give advice to people around if you had um, had people ask to do it again? Give it plenty of time. So if you want to do it, I'd give yourself six to eight weeks easy to get all of the bits of paper and to get all of the authorizations. Because as you know, you're dealing with a, a, um, a government department, main roads, and they don't rush for anyone. Um, And if you tick a box wrong, you've got to go back and start again. Um, So give yourself plenty of time. And the other advice I'd give is keep on top of your authorizations and your your license, your authorizations and your car rego, because if they expire, you can't drive. Uber will lock you out of the app and then it can take you weeks to get back on. So I know Uber drivers who did this full time didn't pay attention, their authorization or whatever expired, they went into main road and said, I need to, um, you know, renew this because I'm locked out of my app, I can't drive. This is his full-time job and um, main road just said, well, that'll take two weeks. And he said, well, how, how am I going to feed my kids? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then on top of that too, did you try considering other platforms? I mean, there's, there's so many of them now in terms of ride sharing. Did you try any of the others? I did try another one. I tried signing up and don't ask me who it was. Um, uh, really early. Was it Ola? Might have yeah, been. Ola or something, yeah. Might have been them. Anyway, there was another one I tried and they had even more hoops than Uber and I just gave up. Like I was like, wow, this is just too hard and that um, they wanted even more bits of paper. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You spend your life chasing bits of paper um, and authorizations and things like that. So I don't remember who that was, but I did look into it, and I was like, you know what? I'm just Uber are the biggest for a reason. That may be good or bad, um, but you do see a lot of cars driving around now, and they'll have two or three stickers on the back. It's, a, um, it's so starting to look like a, like a my family list on the, on the back of the car. Yeah, exactly. But they'll have Uber, Ola, Rideshare, whatever, blah 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 blah. And I don't know how they manage that. Oh, they got three or four separate phones or they just got all of the apps open at once and like how if you've got an uber ride and you're taking someone somewhere then how do you then pick up someone for ola for instance i don't know i don't know how they manage it but you know one was enough for me <laughs> and and obviously there's uber eats but that's a separate component is it integrated into the app at all where you've got the choice of picking up food or no, a person or no, is that no. separate you're neither an uber driver or an uber eats driver you're, you're one or the other i'm sure you can do both um yes. I'm sure, but you'd have to you know have two um apps open and probably two sets of authorizations most of the uber eats drivers that i see are on motorbikes or push bikes or you know i don't really see too many uber eats drivers in a you know, four-door sedan, I think. And that's, um, and that's the benefit for them too, right, is they don't have to worry about the type of car they've got as long no. as they can pick up the food and get it to you. And that's a very good point because uh, with Uber, you need to – they have quite a few regulations about what cars you can and can't have. The car mm. must have four doors. Um, it must be – I think it's less than – I'm not quoting me on this – seven or nine years old. Mm. Um, whereas if you're an Uber Eats driver, you can just get a 50cc scooter and go for it. That's interesting. Now – Outside of Uber driving, you've actually got a career in radio. And I only learned this after we started talking, uh, before we started recording this show. And back in the day, you worked with 96.1. Now, growing up, 
that was the radio station to listen to. I mean, that was dead set the radio station where I would hold my cassette recorder and during the top 10, I would hit that play record button to get my favorite mixtape put together. But I also remember the reason I would go to the 96.1 website was for the chat room and it was dominated. It was hugely busy. It was a big deal when, when I was growing up. And you had a you had a part to play in that. Yeah, I was there when we launched that. Um, we launched. I was there when we launched the new website, and uh, the the I think the chat room was already there when I got there, and the new format, no, that top forty format that you were talking about. Mm. Um, and we had the number one radio website in Australia, and people used to joke that you know the Edge ninety six point one was a radio station attached to the website because the website was just huge numbers, millions of page impressions. And um, we could sell off that. You know, we were one of the first radio stations that could actually sell banner advertising on a radio station website because we were just getting ridiculous amounts of hits. And the reason for those hits was the chat room. Now, why other radio stations – well, I actually suspect why they didn't do it. As you would know, it was pretty feral in there. I mean – It was. Um, we it took a lot of monitoring and we didn't have a lot of money to monitor. So usually the guys who were on air were keeping an eye on things, but you can't do that 24-7. Um or people would send screenshots of stuff that had happened and we'd boot people. Um, but it, it, it was feral, but it helped commercially. It was a great thing for the radio station um, just by pure page impressions and individual hits and, you know, users and all of that, all of those sort of numbers. It was just absolutely massive. Um, but I think they started to get – management started to get very – uh, scared of what was going on in there. Like it, it commercially, it was viable. Commercially, it was making money. It made the station look very, very attractive. But there was illegal stuff going on in those chat rooms back then, and I think management got cold feet. Yeah, look, it was one of those things that where you could jump in, you had no idea who you were talking to. There was that one feed where it was just random chat. It was full of stuff that was going on. Then you could private message people. That, I mean, DMs didn't even exist back then, but there you were doing it. And and it was just wild. And look, I was on probably the poorest internet connection on the planet and it worked perfectly fine for me. And I think that was one of the great things about it was it worked. It worked for anybody and anybody in Australia could be jumping on there. And honestly, it was uh, it was it was pretty wild. And you are right. Anyone in, you're right. Anyone in Australia, because we had people from all around Australia jumping on the room because it was before, you know, the, if I say before Facebook, um, before Twitter, before Instagram, people, some people, you know, won't know what we're talking about. Um, right. It was before before MySpace. You know, it was it was uh, it was the social media back then. So you could sign up and you could use any name you want and any avatar you want. So you go by the, you know, no one ever put in their real name, so you don't know who you were talking to, and stupid avatars. And then you could talk about anything you wanted. I mean, they they call you know Facebook and Twitter a cesspit of you know political views these days i mean this was just off the charts this wasn't even political this was you know everything that was wrong in the world you know um yes. and like i said illegal activity going on but what we did find out was that some companies and i don't think it was an official thing i don't think you know the boss came in and said right this is we're all downloading this software but some guys you know in a let's say a call center um would chat to each other and use it for work purposes the dms and that to chat to each other while they're at work um 
And so you, you'd go into a, a call centre or maybe an office and there'd be 50 people there and they all had the Edge chat room open and they were just, you know, posting up jokes or putting shit on each other and using the DMs to message each other so the boss didn't know and they were still doing that while they were working. And, you know, when a lot of people started doing that, once again, if you're leaving a chat room open for eight hours a day and I, I don't know how many people are using it and doing DMs and page impressions, you, you, your numbers for that website are just going to go through the roof. So interesting, and and you know, I was I was a kid. I would I would have been in my early teens. Using that was that the other story. problem with it. The, we yeah, could, we couldn't police ages. How how do you police? You know, there was nothing. And I remember the the one DM that everyone used to send each other, and I had to look it up at some point to figure out what it meant. Um, A S L for age, sex, sex location. location. Yep. And and I remember that was just the first thing everyone would say to one another. Mm-hmm. There was no hi, how are you? It was A S L, and you'd get that response, and then you'd go from there. And, and it was so hot, weird. And- and if you weren't a hot chick, they they banned you and didn't talk to you ever again. <laughs> or or you would just look at the location and go, nah, I don't want to talk to someone from that from that place. <laughs> and we used to get, you know, because we had um, profiles that was you know ninety six point one monitor or something like that, you know, um, yeah. and people would DM us ASL. I was like, go oh, away, idiot. We're working, you know. We we're here watching you. We're not here to chat. We're not here. But what used to be popular was I used to say to the Brecky crew, let them know you're there. And so Joe, Joe Abbey was doing breakfast. We go, hi, it's Joe Abbey from The Breakfast Show. Ask me whatever you want, you know, that sort of thing. Well, what do you guys want to know about The Breakfast Show or what do you want to request? And people would go nuts. Oh, my God, it's Joe Abbey, The Breakfast Announcer. She's in our room. Um, cool. Yeah, so yeah. that worked well. And that's what it really should have been used for, not for selling drugs and swapping photos of nude girlfriends. It absolutely was amazing. But it was it was one of the first glimpses that I think we all had into – real crazy social interaction we had no idea what what was coming in terms of facebook twitter and others where things are still pretty crazy but this is just totally different so i'll ask you i'll ask you a question when did uh facebook and say myspace start oh mate that would be it would only be about 10 12 years ago it wouldn't be long yeah um, so, so myspace was obviously before it but yeah. um but 96.1 chat was what 20 years ago yeah 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 absolutely 20 plus years ago, yeah. And it was well ahead of its time. It was way ahead of its time. And, you know, we were targeting a very young demographic then when I was there, say 15 Mm -hmm. to 25 was the target demo. And they were loving that stuff. They were lapping it up. They were crying out for some sort of, you know, back then, you know, you had your Nokia and you could text people and that was about it. You know, you couldn't send photos on your phones and um, text was, was as exciting as social interactions got and then when we had these these chat rooms and there were three or four chat rooms and you're right there was the main one um that was just feral and there were people in there 24 hours a day i would you know get home at three o'clock in the morning for whatever reason just dial in have a look and it was full there was thousands of people chatting with each other i was like get off you know go home and what was even crazier was that if somebody did send you a picture Back then, it wasn't like you just took the photo on your phone and sent it from an app on your phone. It had to be done on a digital camera or an actual photo that you had processed, scanned into yes. the computer, and <laughs> uploaded. So the effort, you would have to have been so much more grateful for receiving a picture back then than you would be today. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. Most people would have scanned the photos, had a Polaroid, scanned it yeah. on a scanner, uploaded it, and then, yeah, because you couldn't just, you know, selfie on a phone and then you send yeah. it that way. And, and that was the other but, thing. People, people who were in this chat room, they weren't on phones. They were sitting in front of a proper computer. They were, and, and they were actually occupying the landline as well because it was dial-up for most people back then. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just it was crazy. But, Phil, I couldn't believe it. I'm, here I am coming to talk to you about, uh, about Uber driving. And um, honestly, I'm, I'm amazed that I've met someone who was behind the scenes of the 96.1 chat room that 
at least I remember. I'm hoping some of our listeners do as well. Yeah, well, I hope they don't remember too well because, like I said, there was some very dodgy dealings that were going on in that website, uh, that, that chat room at the time, and we couldn't monitor it all the time and complaints were, you know, pretty regular. Um, so, you know, I can understand why eventually management decided to pull the plug. Yeah, look, lessons learned. Phil, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show and, and spending the time. And it's, again, amazing to hear a little bit of history behind the uh, the old chat room as well. Good to talk to you, Jeff. Thanks, Phil.